0: This is the Find Your Forte podcast, episode seven. You have the passion, you have the education. Now it's It's time time for the inspiration. inspiration. Get ready to step up to the podium with purpose. This is the Find Your Forte podcast with choral director and lifestyle entrepreneur, Ryan Guth. Hey there, choir nation. This is Ryan Guth with the Find Your Forte podcast. I am sitting here with Dr. Amanda Quist, Associate Professor of Conducting at Westminster Choir College, where she conducts the Chapel Choir, Westminster Cantorai, and teaches graduate and undergraduate conducting. Cantorai was recently selected to perform at the Eastern Division ACDA Conference in February 2014 for her Building Sound Workshop. During her work with the Westminster Symphonic Choir, she collaborated with the New York Philharmonic, Philadelphia Orchestra, Dresden Stetzkapelle, and composers Ola Yello and Tarek O'Regan. Dr. Quist recently served as Chorus Master for the North American premiere of Toshio Hosokawa's Matsukaze for the Spoleto Festival USA and the Lincoln Center Festival. She was selected to be the 2014 recipient of Westminster Choir College of Rider University's Distinguished Teaching Award, and her other honors include the prestigious James Mulholland National Choral Fellowship, and the Audrey Davidson Early Music Award. She recently presented an interest session for the National ACDA Conference in Salt Lake City. Dr. Quist is an active adjudicator and clinician with upcoming appearances with the California and Texas All State High School Honor Choirs and has conducted honor choirs in several states across the U.S. She recently served as the Pennsylvania ACDA Summer Conference headliner and as summer conducting faculty for the Connecticut State University. Dr. Quist serves as the National ACDA r Chair for Student Activities. Now, Choir Nation, I've given you a little intro, but if you want Dr. Quist's full bio, head on over to www.ryanguth.com forward slash 007, just like James Bond. Dr. Quist, Choir Nation is ready. They're at the edge of their chairs, folders open and looking your way. Are you ready to deliver the downbeat? Let's do it. All right. Let's go back to the moment you knew you were going to dedicate your life to conducting.
1: Well, I have to think about this in two ways, because I, the, I had a moment in which I knew that I wanted to dedicate my life to music, but not necessarily as a profession. So I was a high school senior singing in the Michigan Allstate Honor Choir with conductor Eve Ely. And we were singing several pieces, but for some reason we sang uh, a piece by Ralph Manuel called Alleluia. And there was something about that moment and that performance that was life-changing for me. And it's hard to explain, but it was just sort of an epiphany. And I knew that I wanted to um, – I knew that music had to be something permanent in my life. It had to be a part of my of my daily existence. But it wasn't until I got to college that I actually made the decision to do it professionally And I think it had a lot to do with, um, uh, well, it actually had to do with a very specific moment. I had auditioned for this ensemble, it was a vocal jazz ensemble called Shades of Blue. And there were 12 singers in the ensemble and they were singing with Bobby McFerrin and they were singing on the David Letterman show. And, you know, I wanted to be in this choir, but it conflicted with basketball practice. And I wanted to be a basketball coach. And so uh, I decided I would audition for the choir and that if I made the choir, that it was a sign and that I would not do basketball. So I made the choir and that was that.
0: Congratulations.
1: <laughs> Thank you. And then as I went into the next semester, I realized that I was surrounded by musicians and I was happiest when I was singing, making music and, and um, just experiencing that. And so I made the decision to commit my career path as well to that.
0: Awesome. Well, lots of children across the the nation. Thank you for making that decision. <laughs> uh, Shades of blue. Um, were they were they like a, a single on a mic kind yes. of jazz choir? Okay,
1: they were. So I I came out of high school um, not knowing what I wanted to get a degree in, and my family really didn't have a lot of money, and so I went to community college in Grand Rapids. Um, and thought I wanted to major in psychology, but then this choir was there, and um, they were one in a mic, vocal jazz ensemble, you know, two to three people in a section, depending on the rep we were doing, and it pushed me like nothing ever had, and you know I learned more about sight reading and music theory in those two years than I think I did just about anywhere else singing that incredibly difficult uh, rep, but it was absolutely a blast.
0: All right, so let's dive now into um, a story of when things maybe didn't go how you had planned.
1: Well, um, one thing that comes to mind is when I was uh, in community college, I had to make the decision about where to go next and where to complete my degree, um, because I knew I wanted a bachelor's degree, at least in music, and probably something more. And um, when I started when I started college and I had made the decision to be a music major, I initially was a vocal performance major, um, and then uh, after the two years, I had learned a lot about and fell in love with music theory. And so I thought maybe I was meant and destined to be a musicologist. And I wanted to, you know, be a high level intellectual about music and and sort of be respected in the field and all of these sorts of things. And, And I think I had kind of a sort of an egotistical approach to that at the time. I was probably 19 when I made that decision or 20. And I really thought that that's, that's where it was at. So I, um, I found a school in which I could study music theory and also continue to perform, and that was Roosevelt University in Chicago. So I moved and transferred to Roosevelt and and declared a music theory major, and also did vocal performance and piano performance as minors. Um, and I was going along and thought everything was great, and I uh, realized after about a month that I was enormously unhappy. And I think it was not having anything to do with Roosevelt, but it had a lot to do with, um, that I really wasn't following the path that deep down I knew was the right thing for me, but I couldn't define it at the time. I didn't have the tools to define what that was. I actually had a conversation with, uh, Dr. Marconi. I remember him very, very specifically. He was my music theory professor, my major professor. And I told him how I was feeling and that I felt a little lost. And he told me I should get a music education degree. And I thought that he was crazy for saying that. And I said, no, 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 I don't want to teach and do all of that. I want, to, I want to be involved in the professional world of making music and thinking about music and talking about it. And I just, for some reason, had this misconception that that was somehow, you know, I don't know if I thought it was less or if it just wasn't good enough or what, but, you know, I, his words sat with me for at least a week. And I woke up one morning and it was the strangest thing, but I just absolutely knew he was right. There wasn't a question in my mind. And the way I knew he was right is because I knew that I loved nothing more than making music with other people. And the, the sound of a group of voices, whether mine was within that group or if I was in front of it one way or another, that was the, the single thing I was most passionate about was people and making music with people. And I knew that that meant music education as a path. I just hadn't really put the two together for whatever reason. So I spent a semester there and um, decided to transfer to Western Michigan University, where I knew I could pursue a music education degree, and I knew it would be a great school for that uh, degree program. And I, um, uh, you know, added time to my undergrad experience and added money, I'm sure, and all of those things by kind of not knowing what I was doing, but. You make the best decisions you can at the time and then sometimes it just takes someone to walk into your life and kind of turn on the light bulb for you.
0: So was there were there particular events that might have that happened while you were at Roosevelt that sort of made you feel like this was this was not the right decision like were there what made you have that conversation with your professor?
1: You know I think it had to do with I was I was um, I had always been and identified with choral music I'd always been a part of that culture. It was a, a deep part of who I was. And at Roosevelt, the choirs were good, but there was no real culture there for, you know, I'll call it collective or group music making. It was really all about solo work. And um, I was in a choir, uh, and I remember we did the Bach Magnificat, but nobody really wanted to be there because everybody saw themselves as a vocal performer and not as a, a collaborative collaborative artist, I guess you'd say. Um, And it wasn't that they didn't care about it, but they just were encouraged. It was a very much a a conservatory atmosphere. They were not encouraged to, to, you know, reach out in that way. And that was really, that like sort of hurt my soul in in a way. I really felt like this is not right. I don't, these are not my people. I don't belong here. This is not how I feel. Everything about this is wrong, and I don't want to be a music theory professor and stand up in front of people and not actually make music with them. And music theory professors are brilliant and amazing, but I just knew that for me that wasn't what I was truly passionate about. What I was passionate about was the inner workings of music. And I realized, oh, that's what conductors actually need. They need to be great music theorists, and they need to understand how to decompose a score in order to bring it to life. And Mm -hmm. I realized that that passion really could – fuel a part of my, my career path. It just didn't have to be the entirety of it.
0: Awesome. Well, very good. Let's, let's move on now to your most, um, proud musical moment to date.
1: Most proud musical moment, um, or
0: career moment could be either one.
1: Um, I would say last spring. So the spring of 2014 was a culmination of several things in my life that, um, absolutely confirmed for me that I'm headed in the right direction. Um, One of those was getting to conduct the entire Monteverdi Vespers with Cantor They Cantor is an incredible group of students that come from several different areas and majors across Westminster. They're all vocal or piano or organ or conducting majors. Um, But they are just an incredible choir and I feel like they can do just about anything. And I was able to bring in um, because Monteverdi, the orchestra is small enough. I was able to bring in some players, and I, I brought in players from all over the country who played sackbutt and cornetto, and we had, you know, all of the actual instruments as best we could that that Monteverdi would have had. And just standing in front of them and going through that performance was a monumental moment for me. Then I found out that the graduating class of 2014 chose me to be their commencement speaker, and that was my very first chapel choir at Westminster. And that was probably the greatest honor of my life, to have them select me to do that and to speak to them at such an important moment was just enormous for me. I couldn't believe it. It was incredible. And then I received an email that said, you've been selected to re- receive the Distinguished Teaching Award this year, which was totally shocking. I had no idea I had even, even been nominated for That's that. That's awesome. So those three things happened all kind of in the same two months, and it was... It was major confirmation i mean there have been lots of ups and downs throughout life but for some reason it was like okay spring of 2014 is a good time
0: if that didn't tell you you're doing the right thing i don't know (laughs) what would right well that's awesome it sounds like you know when one thing goes well and people start to notice, then more great things happen. So
1: yeah, I think it's true.
0: Very, very good. Now you have to figure out how to do more from here moving forward. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Well, good. Well, let's let's now move into our second section, which is the forte section, where you're going to share with uh, Choir Nation something that you feel like you do particularly well, or you think about um, in your teaching. Um, that can really help us and inspire us uh, listeners um, to to go out there and step up to the podium with purpose every day.
1: This is a difficult question to answer because you have to really reflect on yourself as a conductor and as a teacher. But I think back to the experiences that I feel um, particularly proud of, I guess, or 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 at least feel that deeply inform who I am as a teacher. And they have to do with... Um, investing your time and energy and your belief in students and what they're capable of. That every single person sitting in your choir is capable of and deserves um, your very best attention and effort and, and can achieve you know, so many things um, if they are able to be given the opportunity and if they're guided in the right way. Um, this sort of started with me when I had my very first teaching job. I taught high school for four years. And in my first year, I had a student who came to me and said, I really want to be in the choir. His name was Joe. And I said, all right, Joe, um, why don't you come and sing for me? And he said, well, okay, I'll come and sing for you, but I don't sing very well. And he sang for me, and I realized that he couldn't match pitch. And um, I said, well, this is a little bit of a challenge because uh, you know most of the singers in the choir, well, all of them can match pitch. I said, I'll tell you what, let's work twice a week after school just for a short period of time and I'll teach you some exercises that I hope will help you to develop the ability to match pitch and I really didn't know what I was doing it was total trial and error but I determined you know that he could understand the difference between high and low and um, I, I, I got him to commit to some time with me and some exercises and so forth and after about um, three or four weeks of doing this his his ability to match pitch greatly improved. And eventually, by the time we got to the following year, he was able to audition and be accepted into the top ensemble at this high school.
0: Oh, how cool is that?
1: Yeah. And he really felt that that was, you know, sort of a life changing thing for him. And I think that that's the kind of thing that you just never know what is sitting inside of someone and and always staying open and investing in every single person's, you know, potential and and their gifts.
0: I think this is an interesting point that you bring up, um, having worked with a student uh, on a more intimate level uh, as a high school choir director now you are a, a you know a college professor you have a busy conducting schedule you're doing allstate you're doing you know all these different conferences and things like that. so you're not able to work one-on-one as much but the things that you say and the actions that you take on the podium um, definitely still affect people and almost in a more grand scale um, than they did you know, when you were in high school. But although they're sort of different categorically, they're still, you know, the interactions that you have with students are incredibly important, no matter whether it's sort of one-on-one or whether it's in front of 200 Allstate members. So I think it's important for Choir Nation to keep in mind that if you are, you know, the humble high school choir director in small town, you know, small town America, um, you're going to have those students who... You could potentially write off, um, you know, that they're not really useful to you in your in your endeavors. But um, that if you spend the time with them, they're going to end up, you know, being something really, really great. And if you're somebody who um, spends time, you know, conferencing and doing all state festivals and 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 conducting all around, just sometimes the words that you speak on the podium are going to be things that people will come up to you. 10 years later and say, I remember when you said that and it changed my life. Like, do you have moments like that?
1: It's so strange. Actually, last um, at the, the Dallas uh, National ACDA Conference, I had a young man walk up to me and he said, do you remember me? And I said, I do remember you, but I don't remember your name, I, but I remember your face. And he said, I'm George. And I said, OK. And he said, and we met at this Allstate And I said, okay. And he said, and you don't know it, but you said something to us about believing in ourselves and pursuing our dreams and not giving up. And I said, oh, okay. I'm sure I probably, you know, I don't remember exactly what I said. And he said, well, I, I believed that to my core and it has led me to the path I'm on now. And he's a, he's an organist and that's, you know, he didn't know that that's really was an option for him until he started to look into it. And it was just shocking to me because I, I had never spoken to him before and I had no idea that he remembered that and that that would have been so sort of influential for him. So it was it was sort of frightening in a way to think that, boy, I better really be careful what comes out of my mouth because it can affect people so much. Absolutely.
0: Well, yeah. and you know like sometimes there's these kids don't maybe have the the affirming moments that they need at home or uh, in their peer group you know, being, sometimes being a musician is being a little weird. And, and so you need somebody of a title or authority to reach out to you and say, Hey, you're doing the right thing. Or, you know, or even an experience that tells them that they're doing the right thing, just like you had when you were, you know, in community college. Um, you know, you work with students every summer at Vocal Institute as the director of the choir, uh, the main, you know, the main choir, what do we call that?
1: Well, I'm, I'm actually the director of Vocal Institute, so okay. I, I put the, the whole thing together. But then I direct the Vocal Institute Concert Choir, and then I direct the Chamber Singers.
0: Right, the Chamber Singers. Okay, yes. Yep. So you have a whole bunch of kids coming together, high school students that have... Maybe they've heard about Westminster. They have no idea what they're getting into. Maybe they had a teacher that, that was like, oh, you need to go to this thing, right? And... Um, you know, you're, you're helping kids find themselves, even if they don't go to Westminster in the end, you know, there's a, it's a two week experience where there's kids that are like, this is exactly what I want to do. And, um, or there's kid's saying, this is really not what I want to do at all. But either way, you're helping them get to that, you know, that, that conclusion, um, which I think is a really, really important part of, um, um, what you do is, is giving them your sort of authentic self and, um, unapologetically doing what you do and um that is helping to inform you know the decisions of young people uh and where they're going to head with their life so it's an incredibly important job uh, that you have in many different capacities so is there anything else you want to you want to expound upon there as far as as far as um looking into um you know I i should say investing into uh into your students or um um any recent stories or things like that that you want to add?
1: Yeah. You know, I'm thinking about there are always some specific stories, but um, I, as a director of Chapel Choir at Westminster, I get to work with all of the first year students and most of them are coming right out of high school and some are transfer students. Um, but there's something really magical about that group and that year. And I think a lot of this circles back to sort of the investment piece which is, okay, you've chosen to come to this school and to at least for right now pursue this degree. Um, and I think that they need someone who believes in them, whether they end up, you know, finishing a degree or going in another direction, but someone who believes in, um, the fact that they're capable and the fact that they, that, that each of them has something to bring. Um, and so that always strikes me. It's like, Every year it's Groundhog's Day. The whole thing starts over and it's, it's like a rewind and, and repeat. And um, it's always the same kinds of things where they're brand new and they all have totally different ideas about how they sing and what kind of repertoire and all of that. But it's always a magical year because um, they are, by the end of the year, they are so deeply committed to, um, I think, each other and they're so deeply committed to the concept of, of singing together and growing and learning and doing all those things and, and again that comes, I hope, from me trying to sort of tirelessly as best I can give as much of my energy to to their growth as I as I can possibly muster. Which of course is sometimes impossible. I mean sometimes you're just exhausted, but but you know, deep down I always believe that it's worth it. Every single person sitting in that choir is worth it. And I think that it has to start there.
0: I'm not sure if you thought about this, but you know, your position at Westminster is probably I think you're probably like the salesperson at Westminster. <laughs> I'm not sure if you like I oh, have man. you thought about it that way, but <laughs> but like, you know, you're you're getting vocal institute students in high school over the summer, which of course Westminster would love if they came to study or at least to apply yes. right for college, and you're getting them first year. And they're forming, and they're probably seeing you more than they're seeing any other professor because they have choir, what, every day but Thursday, right? And so, like, what you do has a very big impact on potentially whether they'll come to Westminster or whether they'll stay. And Westminster is a very difficult place to be sometimes because it's, what, 425 musicians on one campus and (laughs) everybody knows everything else about everybody else and... And, um, you know, it's it's major on day one and uh, it's a lot of pressure and people think, well, I'm going to school for music like ho hum. I'm you know, it's going to be lollipops and gumdrops for for four years. And then you realize, oh, that thing that everybody told me I was so good at in high school, you know, requires like work. Like oh my god I don't have this talent you know this just this talent anymore to 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 ride on so I really need Doctor Quist at this point to to you know tell me that it's okay and that I'm gonna make it and <laughs> um you know because how many every kid is to the honor choir right yep well I shouldn't say every kid because then you have, you said you have also have students that have never sung a note in a choir in their life because they've been playing keyboards that's right you know, since they were three or whatever. So I mean, have you found that you have to reach out to those people differently? I mean, have you, like, what kind of conflicts arise b- amongst, you know, fifty, Susie Allstates and,
1: <laughs> and yeah, ra-
0: Randy Regionals?
1: Right. This is a great question. Um, you know, so I'll just take the soprano section for example in Chapel Choir, which is about thirty-five women, um. So I would say 25 of the 35 were probably Susie Allstate, meaning Mm -hmm. they were the best singer in their high school, um, maybe in their region, maybe even in their state. And they have always gotten the solo and they understand how to rehearse. They understand high level choral repertoire, vocal repertoire. So we have that. Then we have some students who are um, maybe all stars in their own right, but that might be in piano or organ or composition. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we have students who are a little bit more general in their focus. So their bachelor of arts in music, something like that. So conflicts that arise among the students who are used to being big fish is all of a sudden they're in an environment where so was everyone else. Mm -hmm. And they have to, it's a struggle, I think sometimes to go from being the best to realizing that, um, just because, you know, 25 other people around you were also the best doesn't diminish you or your talent. And in fact, it will push you and make you better. But it's a hard lesson to learn at first that, that, um, you know, all of a sudden everybody here was special in some way from where they came from. And that can be very challenging. Um, but that's one of the reasons that I think choir is such a great thing for them to be a part of because they have to learn to work together together. And they have to grab an oar and row in the same direction if the boat's going to go anywhere. And I think that that skill is an enormously important life skill for them to have if they're going to be successful in any way, whether they want to be an opera star or a choral director or a composer, they have to have the skill of being able to work with other people, but also continue to believe in themselves, even though they, um, you know, maybe are no longer the only star in the room. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic for sure, but It usually takes you know a month or two um and then everybody's kind of calm and figures out that this is actually good and we're going to be amazing together that's Mm -hmm. a good thing
0: well it's good because you know i i think people forget sometimes that they're on the same team like musicians are all on the same team and we have to we have to help each other and um you know you play a a really big role you know as a sort of mama music advocate for (laughs) for chapel choir yeah and um and so, you know, the rest of us in the music world, thank you for helping <laughs> shape the minds of, oh, man. of, you know, the young college age student um, who could be just a reckless diva. But you know what? <laughs> Coming to Chapel Choir, we'll humble them out a little bit. You know, <laughs> this is great. So. All right. Well, this has been fun. Let's go on to the, uh, the final section, the Accelerando right. section. So um, what project are you most excited about right now?
1: You know, I'm a week out uh, from two two concerts that I've been looking forward to all semester. One concert is uh, one that I'm doing with Cantore. Uh We're doing uh, Handel's Dixie Dominus, Bach's Cantata Twelve, which is the Weinen, Klagen, Zorgen, Sagen, the cantata on which the Crucifixus from the B Minor Mass is based.
0: And that's the and that's the probably the sev- several words that everybody who makes fun of German probably exactly. says. Exactly. Yep. Yep.
1: Including my students. And then <laughs> um, uh, we're doing uh, Bach's Zinget. Dame Heron, one, okay, of, one of the, the great motets. Um, and I'm bringing in some players from New York. Um, Owen Dalby, a fabulous Baroque violinist, is, is contra- contracted in a small orchestra. Looking forward to that. That's a week out. That's next Saturday, um, although that might be past the point. of What's the venue? This. Uh, it's it's actually in Bristol Chapel Okay. next Saturday, uh, April 25th. And then um, Chapel Choir's concert, I've titled Songs of Fate and Faith. And uh, we are centering the program around Brahms' Schicksal Sleet which has always been one of my favorite pieces. I've never conducted it. Um, We're doing it with four hands piano. Eric Plutz is going to play, uh, Princeton University Chapel organist, and then Tyler Weekland, one of our students. They're gonna be our four hands. Awesome. And then the rest of the pieces are centered around that theme, and that's um, gonna be the first Saturday in May. So looking forward to those two very, very much.
0: Great, great. What advice do you have for your younger self
1: Um, I probably need this advice now as much as I did then, but I wish I would enjoy the moment more and worry less about the future because there are so many amazing things that happen and it's easy to get caught up in worrying about what's next and forget to, um, realize you have amazing things happening right now and i wish that i had done that more and i wish i would do that more now actually so i'll give myself that advice right now
0: i agree with you i agree (laughs) with you and if and for choir nation if you haven't heard um dr Flummerfeld's interview which is um episode two uh he speaks about the importance of being present Uh, and i think that's just a concept that I'm gonna hear about in almost every episode of Find Your Forte, because uh, it is so important and it's just advice that we all need. Because um, as you know, high achievers—if you're listening to this, you're probably a high achiever, right? And and you know, you're hanging out with with two people that I think are very success oriented right now. And uh, you have to remember that that you know to enjoy your life now and, and not sort of watch it pass you by and um thank you know thank god for everything that you have every day and and you know live a life of gratitude and uh and you know i've, I've heard that what is anxiety is what the the fear of of the future and depression is the fear of the past or something or, <laughs> that sounds or, or, or about li- right sort of living where <laughs> one is living in the past one's living, you know so yep. it would be great not to be in either of those two yes. so we should probably hang out in the present yes. let's do that let's make a commitment choir nation to hang out in the present
1: <laughs> and i will commit with you I awesome need it too. <laughs> awesome
0: all right in your opinion what do you believe makes an outstanding conductor or educator
1: um, if I, I don't know that I can put these in, in rank order, but I think the, f- the first and foremost thing has to be that you love people and that you love making music with people. I think also um, you have to have a passion for music itself and the way it's put together. So great conductors are great, great students of music um, and are passionate about the score and what's there and what is possible. Um, I think, you know, of course we all study conducting gesture. Um, I think gesture is important in as much as it communicates a strong opinion that is formed from deep study uh, of the score. So that's certainly a part of it. And and um, the ability to connect with and motivate people, uh, I think, is really important. The be- the belief, uh, the ability to get people to come on board and to share the belief in in the effort that you're trying to undertake. So those are all things that I strive for and I work toward.
0: I think people don't quite understand how monumental of a role a conductor really has, right? Because, like, you're a you know you're a musician you're you have you know you don't just flail your arms around right when people say oh you're a conductor oh so they do that little two pattern thing you know and they wave their fingers around oh that's what a conductor does right you just wave your arms around like no like I'm a therapist I'm like (laughs) you're everything you know and so you you did a very great really great job on summing up um, I think all of those components of, of being a great conductor educator. All right. Now walk us through your morning routine. This is like the first 60 to 90 minutes of your morning.
1: Well, it depends on the morning. So I'll do two very brief ones. Okay. When I'm being good, my morning routine begins with me getting up, brushing my teeth and going to the gym. And I have no excuse because the gym is next to my house. Okay. So that's thing one. I go to the gym, come back, take a shower, eat breakfast, um, I check my email, which I'm gonna try not to do in the morning anymore before I go to work. I'm gonna try and do that just at work. But if I don't check it, it just there's no way I can ever get get to all of it.
0: Choir Nation, your email is everyone else's to do list. (laughs) That's more to come. Okay, go ahead. So,
1: um, and then I, um, you know, there's always coffee. There's coffee kind of throughout the whole. Always coffee. There's always coffee happening in some capacity. Uh, and then as I'm driving to school, I'm either listening to, uh, and find your forte okay, or sorry. find your forte yep, okay, or, thinking or, sure. or some Bach, or I might have a conversation with someone who I need to catch up with like my mother or someone mm-hmm. like that. But that's generally what I do in the morning. And if I'm not being good, that all happens just minus the gym, but I'm trying to make sure the gym's always a part of it. Because if I am physical, I've always been a person who, who as a kid, I was always an athlete and, um. I feel that music is a physical thing, and I I like to try and stay in touch with, you know, being a physical person as well as, as, you know, mental, so.
0: Great. Nothing like a good dopamine rush in the morning. (laughs)
1: Exactly.
0: All right. Um, What is your most favorite concert that you've attended?
1: um, There are so many. um, I think the concert where I was most sort of profoundly moved was a concert that was given couple years ago by Tenebrae. It's a British vocal ensemble. Um, a friend of mine, Gabriel Cr- Crouch, is in the ensemble and sings with them. Um, it's conducted by Nigel Short. And they came to uh, St. Mary the Virgin of Times Square, which is in the middle of New York City. They came and sang a concert of British music in that venue. And I, I went with a friend of mine who's also, I think, done a podcast, Ryan Brando.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we just... Both. It's episode three. Okay. By the way. There you go. We, we both uh thought it was probably the most beautiful choral concert we have ever heard. It was just the, the way they sing and the their commitment to text and delivery of the of the musical ideas, and it was just the most stunning concert I've ever heard. Um and in terms of I've been to a few rock concerts. I one time showed up at a prince concert. God bless you. Uh, thank you. And I and I uh <laughs> Thought, well, I'm just going to show up and see what happens. And I, I went to the door about five minutes before it started, and I got fifth row ticket. So I went and saw Prince. It was awesome. All right. <laughs> yes.
0: Very good. Um, that Tenebrae concert, I, I thought you were going to go, you said a couple years ago, because a couple years ago, there was a Tenebrae concert of all Russian choral music.
1: Yes, that was the following year. Yeah. Oh, okay. They came to the Princeton Chapel. Yep.
0: Yep. I, I saw them at the Cathedral Basilica of St. Peter and Paul in Philadelphia. Yes. Marble everything like everywhere, just, oh my God, what an amazing acoustic. Yes. That was a life-changing concert for me. So I'm glad we agree on the same, the same yes, ensemble. Awesome. Phenomenal. So if you haven't seen Tenebrae, check out Tenebrae. <laughs> uh, all right. What is your favorite um, personal growth or music book or any book that's really changed your life?
1: Well, there's a couple, Um, you know, in, in thinking of kind of musical personal growth, there's a book called A Soprano on Her Head that I love, and I can't remember the, the title of the writer, but... Um, if you look up a soprano in her head, you'll find it. There's nothing else titled anything even... We'll put a
0: link in the show notes even, for you.
1: Even close. Um, and the reason I love the book is because it's about a woman who was struggling with um, vocal technique. And she did this thing where she was. it was suggested to her that she should go upside down and try to sing. And strangely enough, by just simply changing her perspective, both physically and mentally, something clicked for her in her vocal technique that just absolutely changed everything. And I think... The book is really about um, taking chances and, and attempting to change perspective and to change your environment and to, that sometimes the most unexpected random thing will click for you and, then, and that, that's okay. Um, I also love the book, uh, The Power of Now. We were just talking about being in the present mm-hmm. um, and the art of possibility. Those are sort of motivational books, but they're, they're all about exactly what they say, being in the present um, and, and always believing in what's possible. And then in terms of music books, two books that I'm interested in right now, one is called, uh, I believe it's called The Performance of 16th Century Music by Anne Smith. I think I've got the title right. It's just a great, I, I do a lot of Renaissance music with Cantry, um, although we're preparing Baroque at the moment, but it's just a great resource for performance practice. If you have, you know, if you're interested in anything you know, Talis, Burge, Asken, whatever, it's great for that. Um, and then another book I would say is, um, Eric Chafee, Tonal Allegory in the mu- vocal music of J.S. Bach. He has a way of looking at Bach's music that is so interesting and so sort of, um, he just digs, digs things out of it that you wouldn't even know were there. I mean, you know, of course, Bach's music is so deep and so rich and so full of puzzles and interesting symbolism. And, and Eric Chafee really talks about that, um, in, in many levels and I, I think it's just a brilliantly written book so
0: awesome so we have a wonderful list of books that will be up on your show notes page at ryanguth.com forward slash 007 I'm not sure if Choir Nation knows this but uh, you can support the Find Your Forte podcast monetarily by buying books from the links, the Amazon links, um, on the show notes. So I would encourage um, everyone to load up on as many books as they would like over at ryanguth.com in any of the show notes pages uh, for any of our guests in the future. Let's move on to the big question. Okay, if you only had one concert left in your lifetime, a choir with limitless ability and access to a sold-out concert venue of your choosing, where would your final concert be and what would be the last piece on that program?
1: Okay, it would be the B Minor Mass, which naturally ends with the Dona Nobis Um And even though I should probably say I would want to perform it in Leipzig, I would probably perform it in Carnegie hall because, um, it's such an iconic space. It's a beautiful acoustic. And, you know, being an American, I think if, if, if that was the last moment, I would want to, I would want to kind of go out with a, with a reference to the past, but the B minor mass is one of the most life-changing pieces of music. I think that we've ever been given. And the last movement, the Dona Nobis, um, you know it's set up with the, the music that comes before it, of course. We've heard the music in another movement, but it comes back in the end. And when the trumpets come in at the end, it is just the most amazing moment, I think, in all of music. And so it, that's what it would be
0: awesome. Did you and Ryan Brando trade answers for this question? No,
1: did he say that the was same thing? the exact same thing that he said? <laughs> that, well, well we're, they must that's be why kindred spirits, <laughs> yes.
0: Very good, very good. All right, well, let's give the listeners some parting words of encouragement and then um, let them know the best way that they can connect with you moving forward, whether it's online, social media.
1: Sure. Um, Parting words of encouragement, I guess I would just say that I view myself very much as a learner always in everything I do. Um, There's constantly something that I can learn and that I can do better. Um, and so I, I hope I always approach my music making with a constant desire to grow from it and from the people that, I, that I'm lucky enough to interact with. Um, and I think also just remembering that being a, a musician or a conductor or a teacher um, is hard work a lot of the time and not to let that get in the way of your joy for music making because everything in life you know, has hard work attached to it. Um, But that doesn't have to take away with the real purpose of of why we do what we do. Um, And then if people want to get a hold of me, I do have a Facebook page. Um, I have a Twitter account. It's just Amanda R. Quist, you know, at Twitter. Um, Or they can go on the Westminster Choir College website and my email. And there's a page there. If you look under faculty under conducting, you can click on my name and I have my email there as well.
0: Great. Well, we will put links to everything in the show notes. So RyanGuth.com forward slash uh, 007. We want to thank Dr. Quist for being with us today. So thank you very, very much.
1: Thank you for having me. Of this course. has been fun.
0: Of course. Well, um, we uh, we know now that Choir Nation is even more ready to step up to the podium with purpose. And thank you so much for being our guest on Find Your Forte. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Find Your Forte with Ryan Guth. As always, join Ryan online at I- D- www.ryangooth.com for detailed show notes and discussions on every episode. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review until next time. Be amazing. Oh. Let me say that again. I'm going to do the whole, the whole okay, thing right. again so I can, mm-mm. it says the puberty thing is coming back. <laughs> okay. If you,